What do you think about when you think about Abraham? Anybody? Father of Israel, for sure. Somebody else. Something else you think of when you think of Abraham. You never think of Abraham. Think about Abraham now. What do you think about him? I'm sorry? Absolutely. Father of Isaac, for sure. And that whole situation that went on with Isaac and Abraham on the mountain. Anybody else? Most of the answers we... I'm sorry? Following God's lead. Thank you. Absolutely. Definitely. Most of the time when we think about Abraham, we usually think about him in an Old Testament sense. We think about him, as Steve said, being the father of Israel, the father of that nation. We think of him as being called by God from his homeland to go to a place that God had chosen for him, to the promised land. We think about all those things, and all those things are correct, obviously. But my point here is this. When we think about Abraham, we always think, or typically think, Old Testament. We think about him historically connected to the Old Testament nation of Israel and all that went along with that. So what I want to do as we start tonight is remind you that Abraham is mentioned in eight of the New Testament books. Eight of those books in the New Testament, Abraham's name shows up. And in four of those books, they are written by the Apostle Paul, the Apostles of the Gentiles, who wrote to the church. And twice in the New Testament, Abraham is given to us as an illustration of New Testament salvation. So what that means is Abraham is not simply an Old Testament figure, uh, some historical pillar from the nation of Israel. Abraham is an illustration to us who are born-again believers living in the church age. He has something to tell us as well. And so although he was historical, although he was a man who lived on this earth, he really did live here centuries ago, uh, God arranged his life in such a way that he gives us a wealth of information as to how we can walk with the Lord uh, during this age, during this church age. And that's why we're doing this study on the life of Abraham. We're doing this study so we can learn from him how to walk with the Lord as he did, how we can relate to the Lord as Abraham related to God. I want you to turn to two places in the scripture, if you would. Turn to Isaiah chapter 41. And then turn to James chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 41 and James chapter 2. We're going to look at these two verses as we start tonight and then go over to the book of Ephesians in just a few moments. So Isaiah chapter 41, when you get there, look at verse 8. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8. Notice it says that, But thou, Israel, thou art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Now notice that there, Abraham, my friend. Now go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, and when you get there, look at verse 23. James chapter 2, verse 23. It says there, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And notice that word friend there is capitalized. Capitalization is very important in the word of God. That was not just what Abraham was to God. That's a title God gave to Abraham. God saw him as his friend. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to have that title in relation to God. I would love for God to be speaking of me in heaven to the angels and the saints who are there and say, Chuck Sabaka, my friend, with a capital F. (laughs) What a great thing that would be. And here's the thing. God wants that to be true of us. Just as we might want that, God wants that as well, and maybe even more so than we want it. I want to remind you what Jesus Christ said to his disciples in John 15, 15. He said, henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. It is the Lord's desire to put that label upon us who know Jesus Christ. He wants to call us friends, just as he did with Abraham. 
And in fact, it is entirely possible for each person here tonight, everybody in this room or who is listening, to have that title. We may be nobodies as far as the earth goes, but to be referred to in heaven, it could be possibly called the friend of God. And that's why I want to do a study of Abraham's life. I want to get an awareness and understanding of the principles that God used and instructed him in so that he developed, developed that kind of relationship with God and we can develop that kind of relationship as well. I think it's a very important study for us to go through. So here's how I'd like to do it. I want to look at this relationship that Abraham, Abraham had with God and consider the events in his life and his response to those events that developed that relationship. But I also want us to personalize this study as we're going through it. So on the back of every outline, you're going to find questions about the study that we go through. Uh, so on your own, after the study, when you go home during the week, what I would like you to do is look down through those questions and answer a few of those. You can do them all if you want to. Feel free. I think there's eight on your outline tonight. You can do all eight if you like. But pick a couple at least and answer those questions for yourself. And then the next week, we're going to start by going through those questions and having you respond to those things and kind of share with us how God has spoken to you uh, through what he's shown us in the life of Abraham. So hopefully you'll feel free doing that. We'll have a kind of a discussion going on and we'll be able to uh, personalize this study of Abraham's life. My hope is, as we do this, it's going to have great meaning to us, have an impact to us beyond just sitting here and listening and going home and coming back and doing the same thing again. I think it's good for us not only to hear it, but to react to it as we go through it. Now, what I want us to do tonight is start by looking at some verses in the book of Ephesians. This is going to be the foundation for our study, so we're going to be talking about Abraham, but tonight it's more foundational. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And when you get there, I'd like you to look at verses 3 and 4. And we'll make application to Abraham's life as we go through, but I think these are, this is kind of the founding principles we need to know as you consider this topic of Abraham. So verse 3 says this of Ephesians chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Drop down to verse 8. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 8. It says, Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Now, what you see there is some amazing truth. God's activity toward you and I began in eternity. That's where it started. Uh, Paul assures those in the church of Ephesus and all who would read this letter afterwards that God had chosen them before the foundation of the world, or in other words, before the foundation of the world was laid, uh, he chose these folks. Now, what that tells us is that we are supremely significant to God, so much so that he began his activity with us before the worlds were ever made. Notice also that in this purposing, God made known to us the mystery of his will. God determined before creation that we should know exactly what his will is. And notice in verse 9, we are chosen according to his good pleasure. It brought pleasure to God to do what he decided to do with us. The heart of God was pleased when he determined his will for each one of us and the work he would do in us and through us. And notice also this occurred solely because he purposed in himself. Now, I understand we, we know this, but it's good to know God didn't consult with anybody when he did this. God didn't need anybody else's opinion. God didn't need anybody else's information. God decided on his own as the omniscient God what he was going to do with us in relation to the activity that, was, that he had for us. And it was the exact right thing for us to do. Amen. 
Now, I want to make clear something about this before we go on. It says here, God predestinated us. You'll notice that salvation and eternal destiny and entrance into the body of Christ is not mentioned anywhere in this passage. Notice it's not there anywhere. Paul does not say here to those who he's speaking to that they have been predestinated to salvation or eternal life or the body of Christ. They are predestined, notice the verse, to the adoption of children. That's what they're predestined to. Adoption in Paul's letters always refers to the benefits that result from a person being a child of God. Notice that also before the foundation of the world, God saw us in him, in Jesus Christ. So what Paul is telling us here is that before the foundation of the world, God saw, God saw those who would make the choice to be in him by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And those who were in him were predestinated to receive all the benefits and all the blessings that come from that relationship. So there's nothing in this passage that is talking about predestinating us to salvation. The predestination here is about the benefits that are determined to be provided by God to those who have accepted his salvation that he offered to them. All the work that God did for us and provides for us gives us the unique opportunity to have a close and personal relationship with God. Now, get a hold of that, folks. I know you've been in church a long time. You've heard this over and over and over. Don't let it get old. God has chosen you to have a close, personal relationship with him. And all the work that God has done, he did to make that happen. Now, our focus is on Abraham. who He didn't get the same benefits that we got because he was under the old covenant and we're under the new covenant. But it's still true that God determined what he would provide to those who follow him, no matter what covenant they're under. So he predetermined also for Abraham exactly what he would do with him. He knew before the foundation of the world what he would accomplish in and through Abraham, all the purposes beginning with his call to him and everything that followed after. This is very similar to what a parent does with a child before they have children. If you have children or consider what your parents did before they had you, that's exactly what God did with his call to us. Before people have children, basically what they will do is decide what benefits they'll provide for that child, a kind of a path or the direction they would like that child to take, all the opportunities they want to make available to that child, and they make all these decisions or many of these decisions before this child ever comes on the scene. In a similar way, God did the same thing with Abraham. He's doing the same thing with you and I as children of God as well. And just as a parent would, God did all of that out of a love for those who would, by faith, place themselves into Jesus Christ. So here's how we start this study. Abraham was chosen by God in eternity. God put his purpose on Abraham before the worlds were ever made. It was in eternity that God purposed to bring salvation uh, through to the world through Abraham and through the nation that he would form from him. It was through the nation of Israel that the Savior, Jesus Christ, would come. And salvation for all people ever born would be provided through, uh, through Jesus Christ. And God decided in eternity to build that nation on one man, the man Abraham. And God would call this man Abraham into such a, an intimate relationship with him that all those whom God called to himself through Jesus Christ could also walk in that same relationship. It's available to you and I. Now, since all of this occurred in eternity, we can only come to one conclusion. God created you and I not for time. God created you and I for eternity. Ours is not a temporal purpose. Ours is an eternal purpose. 
And just as Abraham had no idea how life, his life would impact eternity, he had no idea how the entire world situation, even to this very day, would be influenced by his obedience to God. And what that tells us is that when God chooses a person for his purpose, that purpose affects all of eternity, time and eternity. God's purposes, please hear me, are always eternal purposes. Now, they may be lived out in time, but their effect is eternal. And God's choices are not intended to affect only one person. They're intended to affect people and nations for generations to come. Your life is intended to affect people beyond you. For generations to come, your life ought to affect those generations, just as Abraham's life affected generations beyond him. Our lives may be lived out in time. God's purposes may be lived out in time, but their effect is eternal. Now, because we're stuck in these bodies made of flesh, we cannot always understand God's purposes unless we somehow step outside of this flesh and see things from God's perspective. Not an easy thing to do, but it's something we need to do if we're truly going to understand God's purposes. One of the purposes of God is to help us do that. And so what did he do? He gave you his word. God's word is intended to help you gain God's perspective. God's word is seeing things from God's point of view. When you read that book, it's like looking through a lens and you're seeing the world the way God sees it. Through God's lens of the word of God. That's why he gave us this book. And if we can take that perspective, the book of Genesis is not simply a, a record of the life of Abraham. It's read that way. It is certainly a historical book. But their account in Genesis is really an account of the activity of God through a man by the name of Abraham. That's what the book of Genesis starts with in chapter 12 and runs all the way through. It's a record of God's work through a man called Abraham. And we understand how God's activity in Abraham's life uh, was involved and how he did what he did as you look at that record through God's eyes. The main purpose of our study here, folks, is to help us see God's purposes and God's activity in the life of Abraham and see that as a pattern for all of us. As God did that with him, he wants to do that with you and I as well. And the only way that we can do this and have it any, have any kind of impact upon our lives is to see that what God did in Abraham's life began in eternity. He lived a life in time, but it was an eternal purpose that God put upon him. Only if we see the way God works in that life and has that impact, the eternal impact, will we have the impact, same impact on us that we want it to have. Because what is true of Abraham is true of us as well. Every work that God does in time begins in eternity. Every work God does right now today began before the worlds were made. Everything was planned out. God's purposes were set before time was ever created, before the worlds were ever here. And that includes the work that he's doing in the life of every believer here tonight, every believer listening to this message tonight. And that truth is going to create four things in the life of every person who gets a hold of it. And that's what I want to give you as we go through the rest of our time tonight. Four things that this truth of God's purposes began in eternity and are acted out in time. If we understand that, it's going to create four things in us. First of all, that truth is going to create in us a profound sense of purpose, a profound sense of purpose. If God has thoughts and purposes for us, then it means that he will work in us and around us to bring those things to pass. Go to the book of Isaiah again, if you would. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. An amazing verse. I'll tell you, there's so many verses in this book that we kind of uh, 
pass through as we're reading and sometimes miss the true meaning of them, I want to park you for a minute on Isaiah chapter 14. I want you to see verse 24. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24. The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. <laughs> That's your God right there. Your God says, I have a thought, it's going to come to pass. I have a purpose, and that purpose will stand. And nothing's going to change that. Nothing in the world today is going to change what God thinks or what God's purposes are. Mankind may try, and we may see this world as a crazy place. I'm going to tell you something, folks. God's purposes will stand. He'll still do exactly what he wants to do. Nothing's going to change about that. So you see, folks, what that means to you and I is your life is not a series of random events. Your life doesn't just happen. Uh, Life is a series of events with God's purposes behind them. And because of that, that truth gives life meaning and it gives life hope. I'm sure every believer in this room has been seeking to have God lead in every area of their lives. And you look back to events in the past and you see how God's hand was involved in everything that you had going on. You may not have seen it at the time. As you look back, you see God was in it all the way along, leading and guiding that purpose. You can see how he was leading in everything that he did, everything that went on. Even events in our lives that we may see as difficult or even overwhelming, looking back, now I see God's purpose in that. Now I see why God allowed that to happen. And that is something, folks, that no lost person can say. Only a child of God can live a life with a sense of divine purpose. Until a person trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, life has no purpose. It's just a series of random events. That is not true of a child of God. Only a saved child of God can live with expectancy and hope that God's will will be accomplished in their lives to the very detail. Every believer ought to live life in anticipation and excitement, just wondering what God's next step is. What's God going to do next? And knowing that whatever it is that he does, it's going to be exactly the right step. So what that tells us also is this. A life lived without God is a life lived without hope. Those folks living out there without Jesus Christ, they have no hope whatsoever. I was talking to uh, some folks this past week while we were away, talking about the world situation, talking about how bleak things were. And I'll tell you, folks, I understand that. And I'm not trying to just look through rose-colored glasses, but I'm going to tell you something. This is one of the greatest times to be alive. (laughs) There are more opportunities right now than maybe there have ever been. There is folks out there with no hope. They watch what's going on and have no idea what's happening. And you know exactly what's happening. And you can give them hope. You can give them hope. Our lives as believers are lives of continual and unbelievable hope. So, as we understand that God's purposes are acted out in time, uh, set in eternity, that gives us hope and a sense of purpose. Number two. That understanding that God is working his eternal purpose in us will create a sense of urgency in our lives. Create a sense of urgency as we live. The life that we have right now is the only life that we're ever going to have. It's the only life God has given to me that he's going to work his purposes through. I'm sure you've heard the little saying, the the little phrase, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Well, it's very simple, but there's an enormous amount of truth in that statement. (laughs) The only thing that's going to last outside of this life is that which we have done where God's purposes were fulfilled. Everything else we do is going to vanish at death. If God's purpose was not involved, it's going to count for nothing. Now, Scripture tells us we're given 70 to 80 years, sometimes more, sometimes less. 
And the older I get, the more I realize how quickly those years pass. Seems like just yesterday I was beginning my career, and now at the end of the month, I'm going to have 46 years in, I'm going to retire from that business. I'm sure many of you feel the same way. Life is brief. And only what we do in this life is going to have any value at all in eternity. What should that do? That should give us a sense of urgency as we live this life. You've only got so much time, only so much time God has given to us. We need to use that time to accomplish the purpose of God. That understanding should create in us a desire to obey God and obey God quickly. (laughs) Obey God quickly. I've met many believers over my time who are going to serve God once some life event had passed or concluded. Once the kids are grown, or once the money situation is settled, or once the career is in place, then I'm going to serve God. And all that time they wait is simply wasted time with no eternal value whatsoever. I'm not saying those things aren't important. They are important, but they should not eliminate or get in the way of or substitute for us living out God's purposes every day that we live. What we understand is this. Life is short. And only what we have done for God will have any eternal value. And that thought and that truth should establish our priorities and should establish our focus. It should cause us not to let anything get in the way of doing what God has called us to do. And that attitude is apparent in the life of anyone who has come to grips with the reality that life is short. A person with that attitude, with that urgency, will let nothing get in the way of doing God's will. A person with that attitude will give up almost anything to see God's will accomplished. A person with that attitude will hold nothing back and will be completely and entirely sold out to the Lord. And it is that attitude that will get the gospel to those who need to hear it. And that attitude will cause churches and individuals to do God's work, no matter what the obstacles or the resistance may be. I will tell you, folks, and I'm not trying to be harsh tonight, but we've got a lot of weak Christians. (laughs) A lot of believers only serve God when everything's right in place. I drive past the, well, it used to be Foster Stadium. I don't know what it is now, but that stadium over there by the Hall of Fame. And I'll see those folks sitting out in the rain watching a football game. And you couldn't get some of these folks to come to church in the rain (laughs) in a building that's covered. Why that is? Because there's no urgency in their lives. They'll just wait till next Sunday. Assuming there's going to be a next Sunday. (laughs) And there may not be. Their life may end during the week. Our lives need to be, have a sense of urgency about them because anything that we do, we must do now. Anything less than that, God's purpose will not be accomplished and life is a waste. If God is not working his purpose in our lives, our lives are wasted. They're worth nothing. Only God's purpose has any value whatsoever. Amen. And so that, secondly, that understanding should give us a sense of urgency in our lives. Number three, that understanding that God's work is in us began in eternity will create within us all the motivation that we need to do whatever God has called us to do. Go to the book of 2 Corinthians, if you would. In two separate places in the Word of God, I'm going to have you turn to them, Paul identified what motivated him. And since Paul, I believe, was the greatest Christian who ever lived, let's see what his motivations were. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Here's the first expression Paul gives us. Of the motivation for serving. He says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now go to Philippians chapter 3. 
Philippians chapter 3, and we'll see some familiar words that give us his second motivation. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 12. Familiar words, I'm sure, from the book of uh, Philippians. Philippians 3.12. Paul says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God's purpose for Paul's life was determined when God laid out the plan of salvation. And that plan was conceived not in time. That plan was conceived in eternity. Paul was aware that his life, both in time and in eternity, would be nothing had Jesus Christ not died for him. And Paul saw no choice but to spend the rest of his life living for the one who was willing to sacrifice that much for him. And what he says there in 2 Corinthians was, that love constrained him. What that means is, that love demanded service from Paul. As far as Paul was concerned, because Jesus Christ died for him, because God showed that kind of love for him, he had no other option. There was no second choice, no way to somehow get out of what God's love required. God's love required that Paul live for him and live out God's purpose. Now, if you're serving the Lord this evening, whatever capacity that is, I don't know what motivates you to do that. But according to Paul, there are only two things to know about our service to God. Number one. We are motivated to serve him because God loved us and sent his son to die for us. That's the motivation. We don't do it for the preacher. We don't do it for our parents. We don't do it for our grandma. We don't do it for anybody else. We don't do it to be noticed by people or to make points with God. That's not why we serve. We serve God. We live out his purpose because God loved us so much that before time began, he laid out a plan for our salvation. Before you were ever born, God already knew how he was going to save you if you trust Jesus Christ. And according to Paul, that understanding alone is enough to motivate us to serve him with all that we have. We should need no other motivation to serve him than to understand the fact that God loved us and Jesus Christ died for us. Amen. shouldn't need anything else. That should be enough. More than enough. Here's the second thing we need to know from Paul about our service to God. It's not an option. It's not an option. It's not a choice to be made. Our service to God is required. We are constrained. We are required. It is declared that we must serve God. In both passages that I read to you from Paul in the New Testament there, Paul doesn't anywhere give us a choice as to whether we serve or don't serve. It's not in there. Paul says instead, this is how you serve and this is why you serve. I meet many believers who come to church almost every Sunday who are under the mistaken impression that serving God is an option. That they do it if they have the time to do it, if the right opportunity comes along they do it. Many believers seem to think that serving God is the responsibility of a chosen few. They seem to think that the pastoral staff or the Sunday school teachers or the bus workers or some other worker in the church, they're required to serve God. Everybody else is off the hook and can do it if they want to. You don't see that in any of the writings of Scripture. It's not there anywhere. Feel free to look for it, folks. It's not there. God won't force anybody to serve. He always allows your free will to operate. But no one is free from God's expectation to serve. God expects it. And those who don't are ignoring everything that God did for them, including sending his son to die for them. 
And if they choose not to serve him, they do that in the face of what God did for them. So this fact that God's work in time began in eternity is the only motivation necessary for us to instigate our service to him. Here's number four. That truth creates in us, uh, this principle rather, creates this in us. And it's really a summary of all we set up to this point. The understanding that God's purposes for us began in time and will continue into eternity will create a life of eternal meaning. A life of eternal meaning. And by that I mean this understanding should cause us always to live out, with live life with eternity in mind. We should live every day thinking about eternity. That's how Paul lived. If you were with us when we did our study through 2 Corinthians, you remember us speaking often of living life with the eternal view. The eternal view. The eternal view. We live life with the understanding of the fact that God has chosen us to be adopted and that gives life meaning well beyond the grave. And specifically, living that way puts the judgment seat of Christ in our direct line of vision. Go back to 2 Corinthians, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again, and this time look at verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. And now notice what he says here. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Where does that acceptation take place? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. Uh, There is a judgment seat of Christ coming where the believer stands before God and gives account of how they served God while they were here. And that judgment seat of Christ really uh, serves two purposes. First of all, that day is a day of accounting as we re- is revealed for us, the quality of the work that we did for him. And that quality is revealed through the fire and the rewards that come out the other side of that fire because we served him with the right motive and the right attitude. That's what we might call the negative side of the, of the judgment seat of Christ, since the true uh, quality of our work is going to be revealed. And for many believers, because they serve God for the wrong purpose, because they serve God with the wrong motivation, are going to lose what they surrendered to God or what they gave to God in that service. But there's also a positive side to the judgment seat of Christ. On that day, the eternal value of what we did for the Lord is going to be revealed. It's going to show whether or not your work had any eternal value. On that day, what you're going to see is the impact of your work on eternity. You're going to be able to see how what you did here impacted all of eternity as a result. It's going to be the final reinforcement to us of the idea that our work that we do here is not just for here. We don't work just to do this. We don't work just to have a good building here and to have activities here and so forth. That's not why we're here. Those things are part of why we're here, but they have a a greater purpose. We do all these things to seek out eternal results, eternal reward. God has structured our work in that way. Our work has long-range eternal consequences. And that because God structured it that way, because he is working through us and has called us, uh, that work began before time was ever here. Our work is an eternal work because the work that we're doing was purposed in eternity before we ever got here. Your work for God was purposed on the front side of eternity. <laughs> on the front side of eternity. 
Uh, before eternity continues, he put this block of time in here, and he decided before this began how things were going to go and what he wanted you to do. Eternity is where God set the purpose for your life. Get a hold of that, folks. <laughs> before you were ever here, before the world was ever here, God saw you in Jesus Christ and said, here's what I've got for them to do, and determine that before you were ever here, before anything was ever here. God thought of you individually saw you in Jesus Christ, saw the decision you had made, and because of that, adopted you, gave all the rights and privileges of a child of God, and gave you a purpose, and gave you a meaning that he wanted you to fulfill. And that all happened before the world ever showed up. What that means is this. That's where our eyes always need to be focused. Not on this span of time. Not on this time right now. Our lives need to be focused beyond this. So many believers have their eyes on the present. So many believers are looking for what's going to happen today, what's going to happen tomorrow, and they miss the eternal future that they, ha- that they have that's coming to them. I read recently of an evangelist who was witnessing to an atheist. The atheist was explaining to this evangelist why he was not a Christian. He said that if he truly believed, as Christians say, that everyone, everyone must face eternity and give account for what they have done while they're on this earth, And if it's true that Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, is the only way to secure eternal fellowship with God, and if it's true that all those who refuse are going to spend eternity in a place called hell and the lake of fire, he says, I would not rest day or night until I had warned everybody and urged everybody I know to respond to God's invitation. That's what the atheist said. But then he said this, the way I see most Christians live, I'm totally convinced that what they believe What they say they believe simply isn't true because I don't see them living with that urgency. I don't see them living with that desire to make sure everybody knows what's going to happen without Jesus Christ. He was an atheist because none of the Christians that he knew lived with eternity in full view. What a sad commentary that is. What a condemnation that is. And that's true, I believe, of many, many Christians. And I believe what will truly change a person's entire approach to the Christian life is when they get the eternal perspective. When we realize your life started not here, whenever you were born, your life started in eternity in God's eyes. That's when your purpose was laid out. And if we get that perspective, we will never encounter people or circumstances without the confidence that the God who chose us from eternity is working his purpose in us every day that we live. And the only reason it doesn't happen is because we get in the way of it. I think what we're going to see as we go through this study, it was that understanding that brought Abraham into the relationship that he had with the Lord. I think because Abraham understood that, he became the friend of God. Because he got that picture, he got that purpose in mind, and walked the way God wanted him to live, and fulfilled that purpose in his life, and became the friend of God as a result. And I'll tell you, as you look at the life of Abraham, we will see with that understanding, that life, that understanding will lead us to a life of faith and complete obedience to whatever God calls us to do. It'll be a privilege. It'll be an honor to do whatever he calls us to. Even if it's something that we would say from our human perspective, I don't want to do that. We say, wait a minute, this is God's eternal perspective being lived out in me. What a privilege it is to live out that, that purpose. We have been called by God to live out his purpose before time ever began, while he was in eternity. And that understanding will make us make all the difference, I believe, in our relationship to him and our work for him. And we can be called, capital F, the friend of God. Now, on the back of your outline, there are questions. And those questions will apply to everything that you heard tonight. 
And so what I would like you to do is go home tonight or sometime this week. Don't forget about it. Take those home and go down through those things and just find a couple that kind of speak to you and answer those things. I realize some of them are personal. Uh, they reveal some personal things about you. Hey, we're all family here, you know. <laughs> it's okay. Let's talk next time about some things God has spoken to you about as he's revealed this truth to you that your life and your purpose began not here but in eternity. Amen. Let's stand.